0: welcome back to the reset rebel podcast with me joe yule and as a show that tries to reset the narrative of what ibiza is known for today we've been invited to a secret space that only those who come to create get to find out the location thus far that has included the likes of artists and major label award winners like lady gaga 50 Cent, Johnny Depp, Miss Dynamite, Satori, and one of my all-time favorite bands on Earth, the Flaming Lips. Sonica Vista Studios overlooks the rolling green hills of Ibiza and is at the epicenter of the island's internationally acclaimed music scene. And although the island is often infamous for its hedonistic pursuits, Sonic Vista's founder, Henry Sarmiento, aims to forge more of what he describes as a sense of harmony between nature and technology at this secluded 400-year-old thinker. So Henry, thank you so much for inviting me to come and visit you today.
1: Thank you very much for coming.
0: I mean, let's start with uh, what do you believe in the contents of your dreams?
1: Um, reality is the most important. Dreams are made for your sleep time, and I believe that's People are always about like yeah, you yeah, follow your dreams. I say follow your reality and get to work and you know be on the good path of progress and achievements and doing good to others and yourself too.
0: I mean, I read that one day uh, you woke up after a vivid dream and you felt that you knew that you had to build these studios in Ibiza after falling in love with it the previous year.
1: Actually, it wasn't <laughs> a dream. I woke up. And I, I just it, the idea popped into my head when I woke up. Like, oh, I'm gonna make a new studio in Ibiza. And three weeks later, I was here. So it wasn't like some lush dream state of like, oh, I'm gonna do this like perfect thing. It was more like, I woke up, I got out of bed, I'm like I'm gonna make a new studio in Ibiza, and then that's the action I took.
0: So I mean. Tell us a bit about this inspirational trip that you must have had the the previous year before this idea popped into your mind. Where you know were you just here on holiday?
1: I came for one week with a dear friend of mine, Miguel Miggs, that was playing at Pasha, and we got to see really like we didn't really go to any tourist spots the whole week. Um, we went to some cool restaurants, but some friends on the island showed us like all these old spots in Ibiza, like on hikes and old ruins and really got to go to like the soul of like the old Ibiza. I mean, I'm talking like hundreds of years old. And I really fell in love with like, or rose in love with uh, the, the stone walls and the nature and the smell and the air and the lights. And was like, this is a great place to, uh, like to unplug and also decompress and, and ground, you know? So I didn't really come here for like the tourist vibe, Um, and luckily I was shown everything but that so then a year later that's when I woke up and had this idea and to make a studio here and also I was living in San Francisco before I'm originally from New York City so I've been around all the cities for a long time also and country too right so that was the turn of a chapter to get onto an island in nature isolate myself and have a place where artists can come from around the world to a location where they can really feel grounded and hear themselves think and make the best music they can for their audiences of the world.
0: Tell us the story of you know this journey from um, deciding at the age of 16 to be a roadie to suddenly you know turning your hand to to trying out as an engineer.
1: Yeah I I never the thing with me is like I never had like a dream or like a mission. I always just go with the flow and the whole thing that happened to me when I was uh 16 was I hitchhiked to a concert because um and it was uh 2 hours away and I was in Vermont and I was going to Hartford, Connecticut to see this band I was a fan of and I got picked up by the second car and then I got there I allocated like 6 hours to get there but it ha- it took me 2 hours to get there um and I was sitting behind the venue um in the sunshine Right, because I had hours to kill until the show, and then suddenly like, this truck pulls up and starts pulling in right where I was sitting, and I was like, "Hey, man, this truck can park anywhere. Why, like, right there where I'm sitting? I was actually sitting at the loading dock of the of the venue. I didn't know it, and I got out of the way, and I realized that the band, this is the the crew, and all the equipment for the band for that night. So I asked them, "Hey, like, I told them my story, like, yeah, I hitchhiked down here. You know, I have tickets for the concert, but like, you guys need any help? because I'm totally bored, you know, like I have nothing to do. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, you can help us, you know. So I helped them put all the equipment inside from the truck, helped them set up, again, taking direction, because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and it was really a, a eye-opener. Then they gave me like a backstage pass, and I got to hang out on the side of the stage the whole night while my friends are in the concert hall going, what's Henry doing on stage <laughs> with his pass? And then uh, after the show, I was like, hey, do you guys need help? They're like, oh, yeah, even more now, you know. So I helped them load up the equipment, not knowing... Remember, I hitchhiked to the the Harvard, Connecticut. I had no idea where I was going to sleep. Didn't care. I was like, every minute it was the venture, we'll figure that one out when it gets there. So then after the show, loaded up the truck, and then I said, where are you guys playing tomorrow? They're like, oh, we're going to go play in New York City. I'm like, oh, man, that's where I'm originally from. Do you guys need some help? Like, yeah, come along with us, you know? So then I got in a truck, then they went back to their uh, house... They partied until, like, 8 in the morning or whatever. And I slept on the couch. And then we got, they got up. I mean, Everyone got up. And then we got in the truck and drove to New York City and then set up for that show. And then the, the crew was like, hey, when you get in the club, if anyone asks you, just say that you look young, but you're 21. Because I was 16, right? And uh, no one asked me anything. I did that show, set it up, and then uh, tore it down, was there for the show. Was super cool. And then that night, drove back to the Connecticut. I slept at their house on the couch, and then the next morning I woke up and hitchhiked back home on Sunday. So when I got home, my mom was like, "Oh, did you spend the night at your friend's house in the next town?" I'm like, "No, I went to Heartbreak again in New York City." Like, "What?" It was an amazing experience. So from there, it was like the the root of the the bug of, like, wow, the production side of things. It was, like, I would never know because people just buy concert tickets to go to the concert and the band just shows up and plays and you leave, everyone leaves, and then you don't know what it takes to set up and and uh, tear down. So from there, that band was, like, yeah, like, if you ever want to come to the concerts, come early and you can help us set up. They're not paying me, of course. I'm just a fan helping them out. So I started doing that, driving to the concerts, and... um Uh, Yeah, helping them out and uh, making things happen. And then when I was 17, I decided to uh, move to California uh, with $200 in my pocket and I moved to Santa Cruz. And uh, then I asked different bands, "Hey, you need some help? Because I have experience with uh, roading. You know, like I know how to take orders and and move equipment and be responsible and not break shit." And uh, then my friend, that was a, a big engineer, said, "Yeah, actually, I." We need a roadie. Okay, great. When do you start? Tomorrow. Okay, let's go. <laughs> and it was for a, a very popular reggae band at the time, and they owned their own sound system. There was like a like a once they had everything in uh together, right? So basically um, 2 weeks in, the uh my friend the engineer, legend guy, yeah, he says, "Henry, come over here." I'm like, "What's up? Why are we why are you trying to be so shady, you know?" He's like in two in 6 weeks I'm gonna leave to Europe on another tour with a different band. I said, "Great." When are you coming back, though? He's like, "Well, that's a thing. I'm not coming back." I'm like, "Who's gonna take over as engineer?" He's like, "You are." I'm like, "Me? I just started two weeks ago as a roadie." He's like, "Well, you got six weeks to learn." He's like, "But the thing is, you can't. No one. You can't tell the band because so I'm gonna tell the band the day before I leave because they're gonna be furious with me." <laughs> So for the next six weeks, remember there was no internet and anyone that can't figure a sign out now is lazy. Like, you know, there's everything you can figure out, you know, and communication ways to even ask someone, you know? So basically for the next six weeks, two or three shows a week, I just like devour. And he also said, don't ask me any questions during the show. You know, like just figure it out yourself, (laughs) watch me and listen to me, listen to how I work and watch it. So I couldn't even ask him things uh, because he didn't want to get bothered with that. So, um, and then he said, I said, um, yeah, but can I ask you a list of super smart questions the day before you leave? He's like, yeah, we can do that. So the next six weeks I was just like fully, you know, immersed and I was so desperate for information. I was even going to the library looking on books on sound that didn't help me because it wasn't about, you know, it was like the theory of sound, which really doesn't help in that situation. So then, uh, six weeks later, we're in San Jose, California. I see the band ha- getting into a circle. He's gonna tell the band. I zoom up in to the circle, and he says, okay, "Guys, I got to tell you sign. Like, uh, I'm leaving tomorrow to Europe, and I'm not coming back. I'm out of the band." And the band flips out, super angry. Like, what? Like, you're in the middle of a tour. Like, you can't leave because reggae engineers are like fifth band members. Like, you know, he does don't replace them all the time. You know, and he was with them for years. Anyway, so they're like, Um, who's gonna take over and And he's like, Henry is, and like the band's like, Henry, who? <laughs> I'm like hi uh i uh, i I'm, I'm the roadie, you know, like I help you guys every weekend, you know, you know, they're paying me right so um but like and then the band leader came up to me like, Can you do this? I said, Yes, he's like, okay. Sacramento next week, and it's on so I went back to my friend, the engineer after the, everyone cooled out. Cause the band was furious at him, you know, cause you know, it's a, a very important position, you know, and you know, live dub mixing for reggae bands is like a very important thing. So I said, Hey, what about the questions? Can I, I, I want, I made a list of super smart little questions like, Oh, you'll figure it out. Don't worry. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the next Friday, Sacramento, you know it was all on right so i had one roadie one of their and to help me and then i had to do everything and um and during the show it was very intimidating because some of their sacramento crew was next to me at the console you know like screw face style like trying to intimidate me but i had no time for that um and then mix the show and then after the show was done that whole crew went backstage to report on my my sound you know because the band's playing so they can't really hear what's happening in the front of the house but it was a sold out show and then i wait some time and i went back when those guys left and then i said okay so what's up you know with the band leader you know and he said our reports tell us that you did a bigger and better sound than our previous guy mm-hmm. which is like a legend like how did you do this on the first show <laughs> you know what i'm saying so i just feel the vibe man you know I just, I just go I, I know the music I know, I know the style i'm a fan of it and I just, you know, I understand the equipment and not to redline it. And this, you know, and also I'm I'm not afraid to exercise more depth and more bass, but not distortion, but it's like make it good, you know, make it like epic is my whole word for mixing and everything, even today. So, yeah, so from there, it was like nine engineers called the band knowing that this other guy left. Hey, we're we, you want to hire us? And they said, no, 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 we got someone like who, because no one's hearing about who you got. It's like, Oh, we got our roadie to to do the live engineering, our mixer. Now your roadie, man. It's young kid. Like, you know what's going on with that? So, yeah. So from there, I just power horse. My God, like I did so many shows and like, I think 1992 or 93, I did like 169 shows in one year. And just like, yeah, just like did so many shows until I was around, um uh, anyway until got like on 25 i kind of like retired from live sound from there because i was sick and tired of hotels and being away and you know you, you use so many shows that you forget the shows you know like so i thought i could remember all the shows in the first two years which i kind of did but then it just became a blur after that and then that band uh you know slowed down and then i refused to quit right and the had band had problems you know um, internal problems but I refused to quit even though it got dangerous and everything like that so I was like if they go down I go down with them Okay, they gave me a chance so I'm not going to be like the guy like oh I don't want to be around this dangerous situations. like yeah I'm worried about my life but well it was, whatever if it's time to go it's time to go right
0: <laughs> why did it get dangerous
1: yeah like you know guns and drugs and you know just like yeah Babylon stuff you know yeah just like you know shady shit you know it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty adventurous to say the least. And, uh, but like, you know, adventure is good, you know, it gives you the more depth in life and the more like a spectrum you can have in life, then, you know, it, you, you learn more and you experience more, you know, everyone's trying to be all happy, like super over happy in these stupid instagram memes but it's like hey happiness is emotion if you want ultra happiness you gotta deal with ultra sadness i don't think you can handle that so my whole thing is like be content and also like don't be afraid to get you know like in culture and diversity like this see everything and go everywhere like you know i like you know just experience whatever even if it's not a good thing like hey it's part of your experience of life you know (laughs)
0: Would you say, I mean, a lot of people talk about this fake it till you make it thing. I mean, what's your opinion on that then?
1: I I think that's a super lame uh, term. Fake it till you make it. Like, that's already like you're lying at the beginning. Like, I didn't lie. I was like, he asked me, like, can you do this? I said, yes. And I was confident I could do this. Cause I figured it out. Like, I know I'm not maybe like, I, I never actually did it, but like, I understand it because I've been around six weeks of it. Mm-hmm two to shows a week for th- six weeks. So like, I understand it. Like I'm not just going into it, like no idea and say, like, Oh, I can do this. Yeah. Cause if I, if my gut was like, man, you you know, can you drive an airplane right now? I was like, no, you know, it's like, give me some time. Like, let me figure it out. Let me understand it. And then I, maybe in two weeks I can do it, but I can't just like do it, you know? So fake it. till I make it. That's that's like a bunch of bullshit. It's emotional, not a uh, vulgar New York style. Right. Um, but like, yeah. So like, you can't fake it till you make it. You just got to figure it out. And like, you better figure out how to swim before you go off the driving board. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. It's like, understand like what you're going to do. Okay. <laughs> you know, move your arms and legs. Don't breathe in the water, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a uh, quite adventure. Then, yeah. So the band at this one concert festival was like, they called me backstage after the show. and was like, Hey, we're going to take some time off. And like, you know, we're going to let you go because we're gonna redo the band and like it's as you see it's really problematic (laughs) and like wow we're so impressed that you never quit like anyone else would have quit like months ago because it was like really gnarly you know and like we're so impressed like you just didn't even have you're just full power into it and like never had like ever once that felt like he couldn't make the show happen you know it's like I'm there for the people and the the band and the music you know so I had to no matter the fans don't know what's going on but I gotta make that happen for them and for everyone you know I'm the one keeping the glue together from the stage from the band from the sound from the music to the people so like it's a lot of responsibility so I'm not gonna quit because they're having internal problems you know so they were super impressed and like was taken back like I didn't quit you know and but they said yeah you have to go we have to let you go and i said no problem that's better than, <laughs> than i'm not gonna quit so uh then i went back to santa cruz i was there for like two days going what do i do now with my life
0: how did you manage then after that to hone that craft and and to you know to be discovered by a man who directed the careers of the likes of you know journey rock steve miller europe and mr big
1: mr herby herbert okay so uh so i joined his other band Two days after I got like, over my band, they called me and said, hey, uh, we heard that, uh, what are you doing right now? I'm like, absolutely nothing. i um, like, hey, so people are saying that like, you're free. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, you want to go on tour with us? I'm like, yeah, great. Let's go. They were an even bigger band. And I said, when do we go? Like, tomorrow. I said, okay, let's go. So then I did that. And then we're in uh, 1995, I think, 96, 95. We're at the Bamy Awards in San Francisco. And so award show in San Francisco for artists and uh, the band I was with won three, which even Metallica only had won two. For some reason, we, our fan was, just, was so deep that they, we got three awards. First time ever any band did three awards at the Bammys. Even Metallica only won two, but our, we had such a, such a loyal fan base and we kind of like, you know, the band promoted, like, hey, you know, sign here, like uh, vote us in, you know? So they got it. So they were super impressed. So we headlined the show. And um, I was mixing the show on a Gamble EX56 console, which is extremely difficult, uh, very complicated board that I felt very uh, in tune with. And uh, I was mixing the show, and there was two men behind me that was very, they were very serious, and they had their arms crossed, and they were watching every move I was doing on the console and the mix. And they looked familiar. But I always remember a face, but I don't remember names that well. I said, who are these people? I, they look familiar. And there were uh, they watched me the whole show, every move I did on the board, and the sound and everything. And then uh, when the show finished, one of them left, and the other man stayed and said to me, like, what's your name, son? I'm like, Henry Sarmiento. He's like, you're pretty good on that mix board. I'm like, yeah, let's do my thing. He's like, he gives me a card. He's like, you should come down to the studio. I said, cool, yeah, I'm in the middle of a tour right now, but yeah, I'll give you a call. He's like, you should really come down to the studio. I said, as I said, I'll give you a call. He's like, you should really come down to the studio. (laughs) Not in a gangster way, but this is a more of a way like, we don't do this. (laughs) We don't, go up to people and say, Hey, come come check us out, you know, like so that was Pat Morrow. Herbie Herbert was the person before that left, um, and told Pat to, you know, get get this guy's number, get this guy for a meeting. Anyway, so the whole Herbie Herbert uh connection is so deep in my soul and my heart. Um where I did see him before because I said, I, I know these people. Mm-hmm. It was actually when I was, like, I think 18 years old, I was taking a, a college course one day a week at Cabrillo College in Santa Cruz, not for the grade, just because I was so young, I just wanted to be around people of my interests, you know, even though I was already touring, you know. Or I might have been 19, sorry. Um, and we had to watch this video called Journey Frontiers and Beyond, the band Journey. It was they a movie about behind the scenes of what it takes to do a world tour and when i watched that movie when i was 19 i'm like oh my god that's the level i need to be on so i don't know if you call that a dream or a vision i was like when i saw that like that's the level because these people were such like such a unit they cared about each other they cared about the music was the most important they didn't care about the money the money is a product of their success you know so they yeah sure they successful financially but it was the music every day and so the people and the concerts at a high level, 90,000 people at concerts, you know, stadium news. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's so next level. Like, that's, that's what I need to get. On. So, again, I go with the flow. I'm not trying to find that person or find that group. I'm just going to let Destiny take me there if, I'm, if it's meant to be. So then, fast forward to 95, 96, that's when they were behind me watching every move. I did it on the mix board. And then, I uh, I never called them because I was busy, right? So then, in '97, some friends of mine in Santa Cruz—they're super uh, Stanford kids and uh, tech kids—they were part of like the the first dot com stuff, you know, revolution. Uh, we all kind of started this uh, website, this Music.com with a Z. Uh, we were seven years ahead of iTunes to sell digital download music with uh, piracy result, uh, watermarking on the tracks. So we already had that taken care of. Um, and one of the guys, one of my friends from Stanford, he's like, Yeah, my uncle is like best friend with this guy, Herbie Herbert. So maybe we should, we, we could pitch him to be an investor or be part of this, you know, because he knows all the bands and all. He, he's like super A game music industry person so we had a meeting with him in San Francisco at the studio Cyclops Studios and uh, wow what a deep story man like this is super deep I haven't told many people this Um,
0: that is a great name for a studio by the way
1: Cyclops yeah it's it's S-Y then next word K-L-O-P-P-S it was the alter ego of Herbie Herbert because Herbie became an artist after he retired from management so um do you want to hear all these details? Sure. Okay. Um, so yeah, I went with my tech buddies. We're all young. They're younger than me, right? And uh, we're gonna go pitch Herbie Herbert about Music. dot com to be you know to be part of it, right? So we go to their San Francisco, and the the guys are my friends are super nervous because like oh this guy's super big time, you know. And I'm just like yeah, I'm just going with the flow. Like I'm the music guy, right? So I'm like. When we enter the studio, I'm like, last. Because I'm like, okay, the, the tech guys, you know, with the, the Stanford graduates, I'm not a Stanford graduate. I never even graduated high school, really. Um, I only went to college one class just to learn, to be around other people, I thing Anyway, so we go in the studio. It was like platinums everywhere. Like the whole staircase, going up the staircase. Like it was immense. And we get in, they start introducing to Herbie and then I get up the stairs and then before I could introduce myself to Herbie he brings in the Silicon Valley super big wig VC guy and he's sitting on the couch with his wife because Herbie's like I'm gonna bring in my super tech guy to like really look at these youngsters and their business strategy if it's a smart move so I get upstairs last and Brian, this VC guy I know, and his wife Cheryl I know. So they get up instantly. Henry, oh my god! And then it, Herbie got t- distracted. Like, wait, what? They one of them knows my my guy, like my super Silicon Valley guy. Like, how is that possible? So they came over. They gave me a hug and Cheryl, you know, the wife's like, oh, how you been? Blah blah. So it totally like really just dis- uh, d- disrupted the whole meeting. You know, at the beginning. You know, and then then after. I said hi to those two. I said, oh, nice to meet you, Herbie. (laughs) You know, I introduced myself. And Herbie was like, okay, how is this guy, Henry Sarmiento, know my super top VC guy at Silicon Valley? Well, I know him because he was, I uh, owned an independent record company, the band I was with. (laughs) That's how I knew him, for music. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, so that was like, so to make a long long story short, we ended up Herbie's like, yeah, let's do this. Let's take let's revolutionize the music industry online. So we moved to San Francisco. We got out of offices in the in this big warehouse space that he had Nocturne Productions, a video company that did the first video projection for massive re- arena bands starting in June 90, 1982 with a journey, Pink Floyd, everyone, even, every every mega artist. So that was in the front the back was his private music studio and then we had offices downstairs so basically that continued that started to flourish and it was at the beginning of the you know really like you know the first wave of the whole dot com internet world you know and then on uh i mean i'll keep it as short cuz i can tell stories for days you know they're all exciting too you know but anyway so that was super fun. Um, in the end, it we got hit by the first dot bomb blast, which was September 18th, 19, 1998, where the stock market dipped and a, a lot of companies went under that day. Not only us, but like a lot of them. Like that was the the beginning of the bloodbath of the dot-com world globally. And S- Silicon Valley and San Francisco was like a bloodbath of that day, you know? Um, so yeah, so then... The company dissolved. Everyone went their way.
0: But you ended up spending eight years working at Cyclops Studios, so Mr. Herbie Herbert was a a big fan of yours.
1: Yeah, Herbie's like... I mean, there was a super deep meeting that happened on the last day, you know, and it wasn't really pleasant for anyone. And then Herbie's like, okay, everyone's out but Henry. (laughs) And then we went upstairs, and Herbie's like, you're the only one that was smart enough, like, and you're the one that is the golden, or whatever he said, out of everyone. And uh, so you run the studio. Okay, bye. (laughs) So then he never told me what to do. Like, okay, you run the studio. It's like, yeah, but I never ran a studio before. I didn't say that, but I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. It's like, I always have to figure out stuff, (laughs) you know, because I'm always that, that those situations like, okay, here's a responsibility, go for it, bye. So then I just instantly, like, just, made it super epic more epic than it was already and really made it like this next level and then added more studios to the years and a video studio and blah, blah, blah. we had five studios then at the end of it so yeah that was a super magical Herbie Herbert Said I believe one of the most important humans to ever exist on planet earth because of what he's done for artists and music and fans he uh, he passed away last October so that's still a very hard thing for my uh reality and in two weeks i go to amsterdam uh to meet his uh wife and friends to put some ashes into the 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 water so it's pretty deep
0: what's the biggest lesson that mr herbert herbert left you with
1: oh many henry always think about the music first not the money because if you think about the money first you're gonna have money music that sounds like shit (laughs) It's it's not gonna make money think about the music always first and then the money is the product of, of the greatness of the music, you know? And um, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's many things. There's, uh, there's a Netflix... Oh, actually, I don't know if I can even say that right now. But, yeah, there's going to be some movie thing coming out on him, which is rightfully deserved for him and his what he's done to the thousands of people and, and then millions and millions of fans, you know? So pretty
0: cool so there's a little bit of Herbie in Ibiza basically within this studio somewhere I mean his, his inspiration and his words and his wisdom must be infusing this very environment that we're sitting in right now and how would you how would you say you bring that to the fore in, in the kind of work that you've been doing recently
1: I I always say that I represent him like I honor him and represent every day with his philosophies and his words of wisdom to any one of um, I used call it the Sonic Vista alumni's people that have come in as interns. And then I just, you know, it's one of the first things I say, watch that movie, that the movie that I saw at 19, watch that and see what the level they were on, you know? So yeah, definitely. Like, and there's a lot of people that have come through Sonic Vista as interns and then have gone on to do great things, of course, you know, so it's about incubating talent and, but doing it with purpose of like really about the music and the artists and not the ego, not the stardom, not the, the, not the you know, the fame game. Not, not that stuff is irrelevant. You know, the Kardashian effect. Who cares a shit about that shit? You know what I'm saying? Like that's there's being famous for being famous. Like no, no, no. It's like it's about. I mean, I deal with music and I deal with artists, and it's you know it's extremely uh, not an easy thing. People, oh, it was be yeah, I know how to do it. I've been doing it for over 30 years. Like it's, it's part of me. I sacrifice and dedicate my life to it. So it's like, you know, it's, it's smooth for me. I know, you know, lots of different experiences. So, um, yeah, it's about doing the right thing and doing the best you can every day and doing it for the purpose of the goodness of music and to touch people's hearts and souls. That's the intention. It's all about intention, right? Like everything we do in life is all about intention. Like whether you go to the kitchen, you, well my intent is to get some food (laughs) you know but the thing is is today's society is people kind of like distraction is a big thing and intention is more like i want to become famous and and rich or popular i want more likes on my instagram or it's like it's, it's nothing and then you know it means nothing it doesn't matter
0: I'm sure there's a lot of people that come here with the best of intentions and, uh, you know, distraction can, can pop up in the mix on an island like this one. I mean, how do you manage that?
1: I have a natural filter system. <laughs> <laughs> so in a, some magazine interview a couple of years back, people were trying to get the, some dirt out of me. I said, and I told them a story that was not impressive for them because it was a true story. To me, it was a crazy story, but it wasn't impressive because like, no, but we want to hear about like people like, you know, doing drugs in the studio and like falling down and like, you know, like some drama shit. I'm like, N- that doesn't happen here. Like everyone's professional. Like everyone is here on purpose to get their thing. And they also, they have a time limit. They got to catch a flight, whether it's a day or two or a week or whatever. Like they're not here just hanging out. Like we're they come to work. So I've never had any issues with any artists being stupid or like having drugs getting away or alcohol or you know hookers or whatever you know it's like no people are like dedicated so but the, you know i think there is a natural filter system i have i do have and some of has that if people see like oh this guy's super pro like oh, we, we won't call him <laughs> it's like good don't don't call me you know
0: I think, you know, that brings us full circle, really, to the work you are doing here on the island and uh, where you are now. And a place that Satori, for example, one of my favourite artists, actually, uh, randomly. um, But he described a few weeks ago uh, this place as a place where he feels most inspired in a recent uh, magazine article. So, you know, I gather that you two came up with a pretty unusual recording process that involved re-recording everything via a speaker. Um, can you tell us just a little bit more about you know why you chose to create the music in that way
1: yeah so basically I believe in two types of genres of music great music and the rest of the shit so basically I work with I've always have worked with all types of artists you know I'm not pigeonholing the one style of music you know the only music I'm pigeonholed is great music I just want to work with great artists and great music doesn't matter the genre genres are made from labels to put you know serve people like a dish you know so um, Satori, uh, super, super brother, super talented human being, great heart, extremely super deep in his music and always evolving and always wanting to just find more extension in the music, you know? Hyper creative, amazing artist, amazing human. So basically, so I met Satori, I think at the beginning of 2020, and then You know, the whole world went crazy, and then um, I mastered a record for him, and um, then I, I said, hey, like, uh, let me know if you ever need any mixing. You know, because that's what I do, and you know, electronic artists don't really they kind of do everything themselves. You know, Mm -hmm. which I see as like a total lonely experience for them, and also it's not going to be as good as getting some team people on board. You know, (laughs) especially someone that does that like for years. You know. So um, he's like, yeah, let's try it. You know, and then I did the first one. He's like, oh my God, how did he get that sound? Like on the whatever percussion or the snares. Like, that's what was exactly in my head. I'm like, well, I reamped, I recorded it outside through a speaker. In, I call a thing called roomifying, where I have two, uh, two rooms, one door is open of the two rooms. And I put the mic in one room and then a speaker in the other. And then I listen, had the mic listen to the other room with a speaker in it, so you're almost like you're standing there listening to the speaker inside the other room, you know, with the door open, and he was flashed, man, he was like, wow, like that! I can't believe that's the exact sound I had in my head, so then he's like, hey, so, uh um, I'm doing this new record, maybe you want to be involved and produce, you know, some stuff with me, and like, maybe I can do a sound like this, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do it, you know, because he, he wanted something different, he didn't want to have, like, the typical, Names in the electronic scene, you know, be a part of the this body of work that was like really important for him to be like, you know, like his his statement of an artist album. You know, there's different types of songs. He's singing them two songs, first time ever. You know, so he really saw like I could bring a lot to the table from a different standpoint, and also doing really you know old school type techniques techniques of recording and this difference like totally different i have a well 400 year old well that i call wellifying then a thing called desert fine that the singer would sit on the the terrace and i put a mic at the stone wall and, and they would sing to the to the nature and it was like yeah so we went super deep and had the best time doing it and it's yeah it's it's out as of april
0: I did, um, yeah, I did hear about that idea, um, you know, about using the well. I mean, this is a 400 year old thinker and that's, you know, kind of amazing that you've got a place where you can actually use the natural environment to infuse people's people's albums. I mean, that I think, naturally inspires people. But when you've got a place like this that could actually already be reworked um, somewhere in the record and, and kind of like, yeah, used to your advantage, so to speak, that's kind of, um, yeah, quite rare and quite unique to this particular house.
1: Yeah, it's like, kind of like the whole intention was like to bake in the sound of Ibiza into the album, but not make it obvious. But like there was one song called um, "Yellow Blue Bus." That's uh, it's a super deep song. He's singing on it first time he's sang a song recorded, I guess, and his girlfriend's singing on it too. And uh, Karina, she sounds amazing also. And uh, and then one one day, I was like. I'm going to put a microphone outside because I, I need the sound of nature in this song. So I put like all these mic cables on from the studio out to the parking lot and I put a microphone there. Really nice microphone. And I just recorded like, I just played the song and it was recorded like the whole length of the song, the sound of nature. At the end of the song, this is, there's no editing done this. You can hear this on Spotify. At the end of Yellow Blue Bus song, by chance there was like this big truck or bus or something it's a big vehicle driving by on the main road and it fits the song ends and then suddenly you hear this bus or i mean or bus or vehicle cuz yellow blue bus so it's a big vehicle driving at the end of the song into the distance and i'm like i like is, Georgie's is Satori's name so George, you don't even know this. Yeah, I sent yeah. a video because he was in Holland at the time. This is so magical. Like it was like meant to be. No edit. It's like this is what happened in real time. So yeah, I like to use like sound of nature or different things in the background of songs just to like give them more depth. You know, especially on an electronic album. That's you know, and then also yeah, reamp things and make it more sound like a band also, and which he also has a band version of his his uh, show. And this go, you know, go deeper than anyone else has.
0: <laughs> I mean, you just summed it up there because he said that he wanted to, yeah, obviously make it sound like it was being played by a band. But he also said that you used a technique that was used in the eighties. What what does that what does that mean?
1: No, I I think it was that thing was like because I have like old uh, analog hardware effects, so probably is referring to that is like my 1980s hardware effects which are like super big from that that era and then incorporating them on the album also rather than just like plugins and digital stuff that everyone can use so really going deep on every era from the 60s, 70s, 80s and so on but yeah that's probably what he means by that was like some of these 1980s hardware effects that's really rare nowadays and also no one you know either has them or thinks they even use them
0: I think I'm interested to sort of work out really like how do you what's what's the process of, of selection like how do you figure out who you're going to work with Are the people like coming to you or you know what what do you say when you know like Lady Gaga rings up or how did that come about
1: yeah I'm like reverse psychology I don't promote anything I do have an Instagram it's when I, when someone emails me I question them on how how did you get my my contact and why do you want to <laughs> why do you want to come here? So it's not like, Oh, please come here. Come here. You know, like I'm not begging anyone. It's like, you know, I'm 50 years old and it's like, I want to just make sure I'm working with the right people. But yeah, like, you know, my numbers out around the world in important phone numbers and important phones, you know, so basically like it's word of mouth, you know, whether it's, you know, Interscope or Gaga coming here and then Akon from there going, Hey Gaga, which studio do you work in? Oh, I worked at Sonic Vista. Like, okay, you know, then gets the number A, you know, so it's, again, it's a, a chain of events that, you know, and also if you do great work and are professional and are in time and, you know, care <laughs> in a world that doesn't care about anything to themselves, narcissism and ego is rampant now, like a disease. Um, so yeah, I, I care about the music. I care about the artists. I care about the fans to make them f- feel the music. And, you know, that's why it's like, I have such a in-depth studio because, you know, anyone can buy the Ferrari race car, but if you don't have the right drivers, you don't win the races. So these are my tools that I know how to work. And I, this is what my, yeah, to make it sound excellent and make it timeless, you know, which is not a word that anyone uses anymore. any It's like flavor of the second, you know.
0: So are you happy to talk to us about the collaboration with Lady Gaga? I mean, how did that come about?
1: She came in, Interscope booked it like literally a week before and uh, she was doing a show that night at Eden and she was only here. She was in Holland, I think in Amsterdam the night before starting the foundation of Alejandro. Um, and then she came in midday with Red One and some of her team. But it was basically just Red One, myself, and Gaga in the studio and then they got to work and, uh, you know, she wrote and, you know, the lyrics and and uh, did some more melody stuff or keyboard stuff and um, yeah super she's super talented like she's on the next level like she's super next level I mean she's a great inspiration for other artists to get their shit in gear you know it's like if you can get like close to Gaga level as a musician as a singer you know like as, as someone a museo, like someone being so deep in music you know that that's the thing you know, like not i'm talking about the success of fame i'm talking about like or being popular i'm talking about like just having your dedication and sacrifice in music and whatever it takes like in it you know so obviously i worked with her in 2009 that's at the beginning of her career you know her it started going big so yeah it was full power that day like non-stop and at, by the end of it because she had this show at eden you know it was like every phone was beeping, you know, like ringing and beeping. And it was like, I'm still, I need to finish this. I'm not ready yet. Like, I just need another 20 minutes. Like, yeah, but sound checks happening in 10 minutes. Like I, I got to skip sound check with the, You know, like, okay, I'll come later. And then it got to the point where like the show was starting. Like, like, I think like, like it was like 45 minutes until the show was starting and she was still here doing stuff. And it was like, like every phone was beeping and like, cause like we got to go now. We got to go, you know, then like some of the road manager coming in like, Hey, you know, like we really gotta go. Like I'm I'm not, I'm not finished yet. Like I need, don't worry. We're going to get there. Like, yeah, but the show is in 45 minutes. Like I need 15 more minutes. And then it's like, then it's like, okay, now I can go. And then it was like, boom, you know, then they got in the vans and they drove right to the show. I, closed locked up the studio and then got in the car and drove immediately right there and i I know where to park right i mean they're just going backstage and going right in so i parked and i zoomed up to the the whatever guest list or vip entrance or whatever obviously and then because i was they're like yeah come you know you gotta come to the show you know so i went there and i zoomed in and uh I yeah. My friend was running the the door there of of this special list. So she let me go ahead of a couple other people. So I just ran upstairs. I know like she's gonna go on like and I got inside it was like literally like five minutes and then it was showtime. And I'm like, wow, like she's there was no time to even reflect of what happened today. (laughs) You know, not even for me. I'm like now I'm in a show, like a Lady Gaga show in Eden, you know, like what? This is insane, like we're 30 minutes, 35 minutes ago we were in the studio like in the zone and then, then it's now it's showtime you know so yeah full respect to her and her her creativity you know and her her master mind of of uh everything you know of arts her fashion house gaga mm-hmm. you know music musical styles incorporating like uh, no name or un un uh f- not famous remixers to be part of her all their remixes you know like yeah incubating talent you know that's, that's what it's all about
0: it's interesting because obviously we saw like mark ronson producing uh on the recent documentary that came out and you know it kind of feels like you're a man that's basically your whole life been more behind the scenes i mean this is like a little well it's a, it's a big cave of creativity but it's not you know you're not out in the in the front of uh of people's like musical production in the same way so what what made you kind of feel like you you prefer that role of being kind of here and in the mix rather than maybe kind of being more at the forefront of things?
1: I mean, obviously, he's touring a lot before. I have had bands before, back in the day. Um, but my whole thing is, like, I know my purpose is, like, better that I'm behind the scene than trying to do some foreground stuff. And also, like, I, I also, like... Um, I'm a very private person. And before 2020, I called myself a social recluse. I'm I'm everywhere, but I'm nowhere. But definitely, you know, the last two years, I'm definitely more of just straight-up recluse. (laughs) I do go out here and there, like, you know, maybe to a restaurant or maybe to a show if it's worth it. Um, But, yeah, I like to stay isolated and stay in the zone. Um, and stay in the soul of the songs I'm working with. What
0: do you think about, you know, the musical footprint, if you like, of Ibiza being about kind of electronic music predominantly? I mean, obviously, Satori is a a different a different beast altogether in my mind. I mean, I remember when I saw him not too far down the road from here at Woo Moon was the first time he came to my attention. I think it was about four or five years ago. That's I think before he kind of, you know, got elevated to the, the the level he is in now. And, you know, and I love Woo Moon, I think in some ways for the kind of electronic music they're bringing here, it is a little bit, you know, left of center and, if I was going to listen to anything, that's the kind of night I'd probably go out to. But I, I wonder, you know, with the eclecticism of the kind of artists that you have brought here and the people you work with and your background, what do you feel? I mean, what do you, you know, have you experienced that kind of um, reaction from people that you want to work with about Ibiza being, you know, more renowned for this kind of electronic scene rather than the kind of projects that you perhaps have had your, your um, footprint on more?
1: Ibiza is a a rock in the Mediterranean. And before there was DJs, there was live artists. It's not like the DJs started Ibiza. There was live artists before Ibiza. There was artists like Joni Mitchell. She writes it in her lyric of her song of California. It's like, I went to Spain. I didn't want to spend there too long because I wanted to go back to California, but I was going down the Red Roads and going to parties where it was Vogue and Rolling Stone. So
0: bought me a ticket, I caught a plane to Spain. Went to a party down the there were lots of pretty people there, reading Rolling Stone, reading Bow. I said, How oh, long can hang around? I said, A week, maybe two, just until my skin turns brown, and I'm going home.
1: Like the Red Roads? This is a visa, you know, like, so like, and then Dylan and Pink Floyd and Eric Clapton and all these other m- magical, you know, serious music musicians, even maybe I think John Lennon, I saw a, post, a p- picture recently of John Lennon, some Finca and like, of course, everyone's been here. But also like, there's, you know, been even in the 30s and 40s artists coming here, whether it's painters or musical artists. So the DJ world got really explosive because it was a place where hedonism could exist and laws were relaxed. But in today's society, no one looks at history. Like no one's even interested, you know? And also it's like history, like, oh, whatever, you know, like do even people nowadays remember Manny Mission? You know, Manny Mission was epic, you know, but that was like, I think it stopped in like 2008 or nine. Like that's like a long time ago, you know? So basically like, I believe that Abiza, you know, like look at Bess, B-E-S, you know, then it went, is the god of of, of dance and and uh, music, you know? So it's like, this has been happening thousands of years, <laughs> you know? So whatever music is current hip at the moment or being financially viable for the island's tourism is what it is. Obviously, you see a lot of more raggatone now coming to Ushuaia and other clubs so it's like Pasha or whatever so it's like it's all good like everyone can exist here you know like all of the music styles you know you know there should you know it's nice it's a little bit more balanced out with you know I hear more musicians doing more gigs now in 2022 obviously you know but like I like diversity of music you know Can Jordi down the street is like the most epic spot um, I bring all these artists there and I even had Rami and from the Foo Fighters perform there with Jesse Green from Pink for Vicente's birthday. It, it was epic. It's like it's in the book, the Canjordi book. It's like the most famous show, the most epic show ever at Canjordi in 20 years. <laughs> I did that for his birthday because he deserves it because he's a great man and great heart for uh, the community.
0: Uh, you also worked with, um, talking about Can uh Blues Station. I mean, have you actually, there was a, a local band that you worked with. Rel's Wills. Yeah,
1: so they're, like, from Ibiza. They're all from Ibiza, and they're, like, this, like, rock band that is super cool, and they're super amazing musicians and singers. Like, they're really, really great musicians. Like, it surprised me at their level of dedication and they practice for like a year and a half before they did their first gig (laughs) you know like and they're always on time and their ears are just like amazing i love working with them i'm actually in the middle of their or we finished two songs of their 10 or 13 song album so it's going to take us another year to do but um yeah so there's new material that's got released also uh so yeah, reels are super cool they're great musicians great singing great lyrics they're all about the island you know because Reels means roots you know and they're like the uh like the poster band of abiza talking about singing about abiza everything about abiza but they're like they're super talented musicians like really good their timing is excellent their pitch is excellent it's a pleasure to work with them yeah
0: that's interesting because, you know, I don't think anybody really knows that, you know, until you live here that there's a bit of a rock scene going on and there are, you know, a couple of places even just on the drive here. But I think, you know, it is something, I think, that, you know, is isn't like, it's almost like the underground music scene of, uh, you know, techno. It's the rock world of Ibiza and the blues and the fact that they have actual rock festivals in San Jose and no one really knows about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, think thing about it, like, history again, Franco was a serious man. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't like the Western music. So you get that from the army bases, the American, you know, the bases that were here. So then that, inf- that infiltrated, you know, into the culture of Spain and Spain loves rock and blues, you know, and, you know, that's why Foo Fighters are like huge in Spain, you know, or, or blues are huge in Spain, you know, it's a Spanish thing, but also Ibiza, like it's, you know, it's, you know, guitar is from Spain, <laughs> you know, like, it's not like a, you know, it is developed, made in Spain originally, discovered, you know, so, yeah, like, flamenco also is guitar-driven, you know, so there's a lot of, uh, so you just add some, you know, hard-body guitar and some distortion, and then you got blues and rock, you know, so, yeah, it's, I mean, again, like, there's so many chapters of Ibiza's music scene, and we can't just, like, look at one micro niche of it, that's even, even, even if it's popular, you know, it's there's many, many things, you know. I recorded once for the uh council, it was uh 1000 year old Ibisinko songs, but accompanied with pi- piano. Obviously, the piano wasn't around a thousand years ago, but these are melody and lyrics of a thousand years ago in Ibiza, but with piano. And it was like, oh my god, like this is so deep! like you know and uh CD I did it I think in the late 2000s or something but again like where where do people discover this music like no one knows about this you know so it was beautiful it was absolutely like amazing but like this is how deep a music scene goes <laughs> you know like mar- you know some people have better marketing though you know <laughs>
0: One last question. I once got flown to New York to make a a, a series for Smirnoff and their, um, the Smirnoff Experience series. And it was a, a gig in a underground bank in a vault near Brooklyn. And basically, it was like all the history of hip hop. And I got to interview like Naz and, you know, a lot of like the old kind of legends of hip hop mixed in with some of the new ones that so was like, uh, Pharrell Williams, I got to chat to. I got to speak to Dizzy Rascal. Grandmaster Flash was there. Khalees popped out. It was insane. It was like actually probably one of the best gigs that I ever went to. And I'm interested because I know that 50 Cent came here. And I mean, the chances of like you know 50 Cent flying into Ibiza and and coming to Sonic Vista Studio. How did this come about? Can you tell us a little story just before we end today's show?
1: Yes, he he was doing a show for MTV Amnesia, so it was like the first time like hip hop amnesia and it was like that was the most epic show ever so again they booked a studio his crew in in New York reached out to me said hey we want to 50 wants to come in the studio at noon okay you know so they came in at noon and he was great like 50 Cent is an amazing gentleman and and extremely talented human being yeah 50 Cent came in to the studio he had all his security team and uh, road managers outside and it was just only me and him and he says to me like where are you from I said, New York City. He's like, how long have you been doing this for? I'm like, whatever that year was, uh, you know, 25 years. He's like, let's make some hits. <laughs> <laughs> and then, super interesting, he asked me for a pen. And I, and I went to my corner here and I grabbed my pen, because I have like two different types of pens. And he noticed that there weren't like a pen anywhere. So I gave him the pen. This is right at the beginning of the session. He started writing the lyrics, and then we started recording. Um, 50 Cent on a mic sounds like a record. It's like, it's perfect. It's like, it's like finished, This him getting the mic. And then, um, so we did the whole day, and then uh, it was time to go. Um, he came out of the studio. He got everyone. Everyone went to the van to get in the van. And right before he gets the van, he goes, hold up. And then all the security was like, whoa, what's going on? Like everyone got really panicky because they didn't know like what was happening because it was kind of dark, you know. So like, what's up, what's up? Everything okay? Like, like, yeah, all good. He's like, he walks back up by himself to at the gates of the terrace here. And he goes, Henry, your pen. <laughs> I go, respect, 50. Thank you so much because it's a big pet peeve of my people taking my pen." you know so he knew that he yeah amazing human being and super cool and there's one story where he was like we're in the middle of a session and i showed him like how to do like glitch you know i, I took the a little vogo file and like went like that and he's like okay let me i want to do that what's that called i'm like oh it's kind of like, kinda like a, a glitch effect he's like okay i want to do that for like for real i want i'm like i can just edit it he's like no no, no. i want to really try to do it with my mouth so we spent like 15 minutes just like looping it and he's like it's like you know he was like she's like dang I I can't get it like like doing that and then at the end of it he's like man I feel like I got a bullet in my tongue I said didn't you get shot with it in (laughs) the so yeah funny 50 cent story but yeah great great artist great human being his whole team were such incredibly respectful and honoring and you know gave us all passes for the show and And uh, like, it was a, yeah, super amazing team. Amazing. And him, especially. Yeah, you surround yourself with professionals that care and are, are good to others too. You know, like you show up on time and doing the right thing.
0: Well, on the subject of which we have definitely reached our time. And I'm super grateful that I ridiculously turned up almost an hour early because I was extremely keen, as you probably noticed, to get this interview in the bag. Um, and I'm very, very grateful that you managed to turn off all of your kit in here so there's no hum. But we're now basically being cooked like two baked potatoes. So <laughs> I think it's time to go. Thank you so, so much, Henry, for your time.
1: All good. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day.
0: Reservable. It's the reservable.